0: and you can get an extra three months free expressvpn.com slash slash film
1: hello everyone and welcome to slash film daily for thursday may 2nd 2019 on today's episode we're gonna get into more avengers endgame spoiler coverage this is slash film editor-in-chief peter Soretta and joining me on today's podcast slash film weekend editor Bad omen hey that's me senior writer ben pearson hey what's going on and writer chris evangelista hello folks so the news has kind of grinded to a halt. Everybody is just talking about Avengers Endgame. Uh, all the news stories on the site are, are revolve around Endgame in some way. I know, Chris, you are getting tired of the Russos having to explain their movie.
2: Yes, they. Um, uh, I guess you know because the Russos don't don't give out their spoilers before the movie comes out. They have to wait till after it comes out, and this happened with uh, Infinity War too. So now they're going to spend like the next three weeks explaining everything that happens in the movie and it, it gets a little tiresome yeah
1: it's all at once um but we have enough coverage on the site that i thought we would do another spoiler filled episode talking about avengers endgame so if you have not seen the movie again turn this podcast off return to it once you have seen the film because we're going to get into it uh let's start off first actually with a box office update uh ben what kind of records is avengers endgame hoping to destroy this weekend
0: well, it is already made so yesterday alone it made 157 million dollars just at the international box office. So that's I mean like Wait, we're talking one about one day? Yeah, in one day. Uh, so we're talking about a juggernaut that is like yeah, it, this whole thing is ridiculous. But yeah, this this movie has pulled in more than 1.2 billion dollars internationally, which means that it's the number 4 movie on the international highest grocers list. It is now the movie that is the Hollywood movie that has made the most ever at the Chinese box office. But, but and, by the way, Ben,
1: I just looked this yes. up. Dumbo domestically in the United States has only made 107 million dollars. So you're saying yesterday internationally in uh, Endgame made million more than Dumbo did in its entirety. That, that is
0: according to Deadline.com. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, so Endgame is is a monster. Um, overall, it has made $1.6 billion in just over a week. Um, so that is enough to edge out uh, Furious 7 and 2012's The Avengers. And it puts it at the number six spot overall on the highest grossing lists, uh, uh, you know, highest grossing movies of all time, not adjusted for inflation.
1: So the question is, how high is it going to go?
0: Yeah, and this is the thing. Like I I honestly thought that there was no way that it was going to be able to take down Avatar, but looking at how much it's made this quickly, like yes, it could just be front-loaded, but you know, you were talking on a previous episode about how the ending of Infinity War was one of those things that people wanted to go back and and you know, see over and over again because it was like such a gut punch. And f- I I know that's true because the numbers bear it out, but for me, I wouldn't want to experience that ending in a theater multiple times, but Endgame, with its sort of like rousing conclusion, is something that seems like, you know, it sends you out on such a high note, and I think that feeling that audiences could be chasing, that could be the difference between, you know, just getting the hardcore fans to go back and see it multiple times versus getting casual viewers to go back and see it multiple times, so this thing might actually end up taking down Avatar, I don't know.
1: Yeah. And I don't think it's the gut punch that people went back for for Infinity War. I, th- I I think it was people wanted to see the shock of the people in the theater around them. Do you know what I mean? On they their wanted friends'
0: to... faces, yeah. Yeah,
1: exactly. And this time I think people, you know, when you when emotions get involved, you want to go back and experience that again. So I feel like, yeah, I, I, feel, I agree with you. I think uh, on a more mainstream level, more people are probably going back to see this a second and third time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris, do you intend to see this movie a second time?
2: Uh, I won't see it in theaters, but I will say I definitely would want to watch this again on Blu-ray. Unlike Infinity War, where if like if I never see Infinity War again, I'll be fine with it. I won't like I won't be like, boy, I miss Infinity War. But this movie, I actually would look forward to watching it again at home. You know, I've seen it
1: three times now, and I I actually want to see it again because I haven't seen it in IMAX, and they the Russo brothers like to shoot with the the digital IMAX camera, so. That the the full scope of that digital IMAX screen is presented throughout the film. And I have not seen that yet. Br- Brad, did you see it in IMAX?
3: I did. I've seen it. I've seen it in IMAX. I've seen it in 3D, and I've seen it in just regular uh, Dolby 2D. Um, and the IMAX is definitely worth it. Um, it it just it fills the screen and it makes it feel much more epic. I actually found myself when I saw it in uh, just regular 2D and at a normal AMC theater. I was like, I was like, why doesn't this feel as like big or epic? And like the 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 obviously the scope of the shots is much more uh, narrow too, and it, just, it doesn't feel as epic as it did on an IMAX screen. So if you can see it on an IMAX screen, it's definitely worth it.
1: Yeah. Um, leading up to this film's release, the trailers were very uh, calculated in what they showed us. They didn't show us much, and actually, what they showed us uh, was kind of altered in some ways to. Uh, Go against our expectations. Brad, I know you wrote this whole article for the site dissecting the shots from the trailers and how they changed from the movie. So what are some of the biggest things that you you found?
3: Yeah, so as we saw in Infinity War, there was some manipulation to the trailers that they had done where they included shots that weren't in the movie or had characters removed that uh, they didn't want to show off were in certain scenes. Um, the, the most famous one being the the big shot of uh, Hulk charging into the battle in Wakanda with the rest of the Avengers, even though uh, Bruce Banner never becomes Hulk during that final battle. And the deception when it comes to the Avengers Endgame trailers was even more uh, complex and extensive. The, the Russo brothers even admitted when the marketing had began that there's there were definitely tra- uh, shots in the trailers that don't appear the same way uh, in the movie. And a lot of them involve cutting uh, characters like Hulk and Thor out of scenes because their appearance in this movie was something that they wanted to save for people to experience in theaters. Um, as Since we've seen the movie, we know Bruce Banner becomes this uh, smart version of Hulk, Professor Hulk, has, as he's called. Uh, and so they didn't want to show that Hulk had kind of been normalized and wasn't this big, angry monster all the time. And then, of course, Thor you know, uh, in his state of, uh, depression and fear of Thanos, uh, gains a lot of weight and becomes a drunk. Uh, and they didn't want to show that either because that moment when you see him is also kind of surprising and jarring. Uh, so there's, there's like shots of where when rocket raccoon enters, uh, the cabin that Thor is staying in the Hulk is actually peeking out from behind him in that shot, but he's completely removed in that, that version in the trailer. Um, one of the other big ones they did is, uh, the scene that people that I, I heard a lot of people talking about and liking in the Endgame trailer was when uh, Tony Stark and Steve Rogers are standing in the middle of New York, and uh, Tony asks him, he's like, "Do you trust me?" And Steve Rogers is like, "Yeah, I do." And they shake hands. But the, the Captain America suit that Chris Evans is wearing in that in that shot in the trailer is his black uh, rogue Captain America suit. But in that scene in the movie, he's wearing the suit that he wore in 2012's Avengers, the light, the light brighter colored one. Uh,
1: so they did
3: some serious uh, visual effects manipulation to avoid giving away certain details in this movie.
1: Yeah, no, they were very good at all this. And you can check out, I, w- I would definitely go to Brad's article. I'll link it in the show notes. Check it out. You can see all the, I mean, you did extensive coverage of this. So I, I think people to want to read this. Um, let's move on and let's talk about, the infinity stones because people have questions Chris, and they want to know you know in, in this movie um the the ancient one explains that the infinity wars uh, the infinity stones are what create time it creates the the line of time and when we remove infinity stones from a t- from the timeline it creates this branching uh timeline that could be destructive to our universe uh, so the question is Thanos destroys the infinity stone so wouldn't that mean like put like time in our universe in like some kind of like crazy i don't know th- not in a straight motion it would be going crazy right yes
2: but so here here's the here's the answer if you pay close attention to that scene uh you'll realize that thanos technically doesn't say he destroyed the infinity stones he says he reduced them to atoms and that sounds like a cheat. But um, during a and a uh, the Russo brothers were asked about this specific question. And they, they said like, you know, this is the sort of thing they actually obsess over in the writer's room where, you know, they realize, you know, they come up with a plot point, which is, you know, Thanos destroys the stones and they realize, Oh, later in the film, we say the stones are essential to the flow of time. So then they have to go back and sort of alter things. So Instead of saying, I destroy the stones, he says, I reduce them to atoms, which makes it sound like, you know, they still exist in particle form. So they're they're still out there somewhere in, you know, the ether, but they're not solid. So it's it's kind of a cheat, but it works on, you know, a a nerdy sort of level, if you will. Yeah. The other thing I'm
1: wondering, do, do you imagine that Captain America had to go back and actually inject Natalie Portman's character with the ether?
2: I, I guess, I don't, <laughs> I, I, I'd like to think they, uh, I'm, I'm glad they didn't show that, because it would just be very awkward, and I, I think that's kind of the reason they didn't even bother to focus on that, because not only does he have to inject Natalie Portman, he also has to give, I guess, Red Skull that stone back, and Red Skull is, of course, yeah. his, his old enemy, so uh, it was probably very awkward for Cap to do all those things, and that's why they left it off-screen. Yeah. And we were talking in our other spoiler
1: episode about how the time travel works in this universe. And I think it's actually kind of weird because the movie does what with what little explanation it gives you. It does explain most of it. But uh, even after writing this article, I'm getting tons of replies from people that seem to clearly not understand or have read my article. (laughs) Um, and, uh, I don't know, it, it, like people don't seem to understand the, the basic role that you can't change the past. Um, but w- one thing people are w- wondering is, you know, old, old Steve Rogers, that, that is the thing that seems to, uh, there, there can be some explanations for, I have come up with an explanation, but I, I'm wondering, you know, what do the Russo brothers have to say about why that, why his appearance in this prime timeline why does this not break the universe, Brad?
3: Uh, so basically the way they, they're talking about it is that uh, the time travel in this movie, when the Avengers jump from their primary timeline to the past, uh, is he create immediately creates an alternate reality. So basically when they're time traveling, they're not going to the past of their timeline. They're going to the past of another timeline. Or if you want to look at it in a different way, technically they're going to another dimension. An, uh. Kind of like how the Marvel Comics universe has different versions of of Earth and different versions of the Marvel Comics universe where there are different versions of the same superhero. This is kind of what's happening here. So they're going into a different time. By by the way, Doctor
1: Strange has teed this up in the last movie by saying he saw, you know, that one million whatever outcomes. Like, you know, all those dimensions exist.
3: Yeah, exactly. Uh, So in – it, when Captain America goes back to the past, it's a different reality. He's not disrupting what happens in the present because what happens in the past doesn't change the future. It, it only ha- changes what happens in that timeline, basically. Uh, so that it, it creates a whole different timeline. Um, so when it comes to Captain America coming back to that primary timeline, basically he has to uh, jump to the primary timeline. So he's not living in the primary timeline He actually did travel back from that timeline to the primary timeline.
1: Yeah, that's what I speculated in my article. And I know the Russo brothers have also tried to explain uh, some of the other paradox related things. Uh, Chris, you wrote up an article about this. Uh, Is there anything we need to know here?
2: uh there's a few things um also I should add that for some reason the source on this story only mentioned Joe Russo so I don't know where his other brother was but it was only Joe answering these questions specifically but um uh, I recommend everyone reads the article on slash one.com because I don't want to go into every single thing but some of the paradoxes or you know things that some people might consider uh quote unquote plot holes um uh, one of them that came up was, you know, why didn't they use the time stone to save Iron Man, um, you know, from dying at the end. First of all, I just want to add that, you know, him dying is essential to the plot. Like I think too many people are like thinking outside of like the realm of storytelling and it's good storytelling for him to die. And that's why he dies. But if you want to get technical about it, uh, Joe Russo was saying, you know, That's just how it had to play out, because of of, of the 14 million possibilities that Doctor Strange saw, the only one that works out is the one where Iron Man sacrifices himself. So there's that. Uh, Some other things people have wondered, you know, if five years have passed uh, when everyone who got snapped comes back, how come when Peter Parker ends up at school again, he sees Ned and Ned hasn't aged and Ned is still in high school? Uh, This is one of those things that probably you should be able to use (laughs) deduction to figure out. But just in case you can't, Joe Rosso says that it's because Ned also got snapped. And that's, you know, like I said, that it's like common sense. But if you need this stuff spelled Uh, out for you, Joe Rosso is happy to do it for you. I will say from a film uh,
1: from a storytelling point of view, it is a little confusing because that hug. Like it really feels like they've been away from each other for a long time. But I mean, in the scope of this, they have. You know what right, I mean? Like, I mean they got separated. Go to space. Yeah. Yeah, they got they got separated at that um when they were in the bus, they were on a field trip and right. they haven't seen each other since, which I guess probably has only been a couple days, but still so, like, yeah. But I think that's what confuses people is the hug.
2: What? Peter, don't don't you hug your buddies after you haven't seen them in a few days? Every time I see a buddy of mine, I'm like, "Come <laughs> here. Let me give you a hug." By the way, I, I hate-
1: I hate this culture that we're calling all these things plot holes. Just because they aren't explained in the movie doesn't mean they're a hole. It just means they are, you know, it, that it's just not explained there.
2: Do you know what I mean, Peter? Peter, take it up with honest trailers. This is all their fault. That's why. No 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 no,
3: no, 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 don't, don't disgrace honest trailers because honest trailers actually is funny and they don't point out stupid mistakes. They just like crack jokes about the movie. Oh no, what's the they, other they, one? Cinema Sins
2: is the that's one. That's it. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. Take it up with Cinema Sins. They're the ones to blame.
3: <laughs> uh, I, on a related note, um, our our friend Mike Ryan, who writes for Uproxx, did a funny thing where he imagined up a fake interview with somebody who came back after the snap and is dealing with the ramifications of being gone for five years. And like he mentions a lot of interesting things that people have to get acquainted to, like how, like for example, how do you calculate your birthday now? If you've been gone for five years, like do you always oh. have? Yeah, like is your is your birth you have to change since you didn't live those five years and you're not actually five years older? Uh, you know, people, a lot of people probably have expired driver's licenses and the DMV is overflowing with people trying to get them <laughs> renewed. It creates a whole wealth of just terrible, <laughs> inconvenient problems.
1: <laughs> We're gonna have to add that to the other articles mentioned in the show notes so people can check that out. Um, okay, we we have already talked about how this movie could be setting up with an Easter egg, uh, Black Panther two and Neymar. Um, but there was another Easter egg I missed that Brad you wrote up. Uh, what what is this possibly signaling to?
3: Yeah, this was something I completely missed too, Um, and it happens when Tony Stark and Steve Rogers go back to 1970 to Camp Lehigh, the uh, New Jersey military base where Captain America was quote-unquote born. Um, And while Steve Rogers is there, he has to duck into a random office to avoid getting found out. Uh, by Yvette Nicole Brown, a a fun community cameo that the Russo brothers added to the movie. Um, And she recognizes Tony Stark and Steve Rogers as being people who don't work at that facility, so um, tries to get them apprehended by security. And while Steve Rogers is hiding in this office, he realizes that it's Peggy Carter's office, and he even sees her through a window on the other side of the glass in the middle of a... Like some kind of conference room or or office pen.
1: Brad, Uh, pothole. How can she not see Steve Rogers in the other room? Pothole. Well,
3: there's there's these. It's it's a very complicated thing, and it's very scientific. There's these things
1: called (laughs) blinds that obscure windows when they're hanging in front of them. It's very weird. I've actually seen reputable outlets calling that out as the pothole. That I don't. I just don't understand it.
3: So yeah, so anyway, so uh, so Peggy Carter's in there, and you um, you get a, you hear a little bit of what she is saying uh, in in that room. And even though everyone is entranced by kind of Steve Rogers reveling in the fact that he sees Peggy alive again and and younger, uh, what Peggy says is kind of interesting because she mentions something about someone named Braddock, uh, and he that he hasn't checked in yet. So that name doesn't really mean anything if you're just a Marvel Cinematic Universe fan. But for people who have been reading Marvel Comics for a long time, they know that Brian Braddock is the alter ego of the superhero known as Captain Britain. Uh, So Captain Britain is a character who, after a fatal car accident, he is endowed with superpowers by a legendary magician named Merlin and uh, his daughter Roma. And in order to uh, save his life, the two magicians offer him the choice between the Amulet of Right and the Sword of Might. And since he doesn't see himself as much of a warrior, chooses the Amulet of Right becomes captain britain has super strength stamina agility all that stuff has uh this uh force shield that projects powerful energy blasts later he he gets a weapon called a star scepter uh, allows him the ability to fly for a short period of time so the name braddock could easily be a reference to another superhero like captain britain perhaps before he becomes captain britain Uh, at the same time since this is 1970 we're talking about this could be a reference to what would be Captain Britain's dad, maybe living in 1970. And the real, you know, Brian Braddock isn't a character that comes along until much later. Um, so it, more, more likely than not, this is probably just one of those things where Marvel likes to throw in little Easter egg uh, references to names. Uh, but since Marvel has planted Easter eggs like that before that have turned into something, there's a chance, you know, this could be a hint at Captain Britain becoming part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe at some
1: point. Yeah. I, th- I feel like if you look at the slate of films that we know about that are in the works, like I don't feel like Captain Britain fits into that puzzle quite yet. So I, th- I think this is probably more of a reference. But a- as you saw in this movie, I, I feel like in Endgame, they're, like they kind of closed a lot of the loops that they opened throughout the MCU and even like little, you know, teases of things. So um but let's fast forward a little bit. Let's talk about the end of this movie, the final battle. Uh, ben, I know you talked a little bit about this in your spoiler discussion with David Chen, the, the video. We ran it on the site. We linked it in the podcast. Um, but you really loved this this battle at the end. The, you're calling it the Battle of, of Upstate New York, which I love as a, a title. <laughs> um, why is this battle so much better for you
0: than the battle in Infinity War. Yeah, so that's the that's the big comparison point is that the end battle versus the battle of Wakanda. And Wakanda is huge in spectacle, right? It's got these, you know, thousands of uh, outriders and these, you know, the, the alien creatures that are part of Thanos's army. But for me, that movie just especially in that final battle sequence in in Infinity War, it sort of rang hollow because we don't have an emotional connection to any of those creatures and you sort of get the sense like okay there's no way that captain america or thor any of these major mcu characters is just going to get killed by one of these faceless creatures so for me it's just sort of a sense of like they're like running out the clock or like checking a battle box because they kind of have to because it's a huge event movie like this but where endgame really gets us right i think and I, I'm I said it before I'm not sure if it, they like learned a lesson from infinity war or if it's just an entirely different approach that they decided to take this time but the battle of upstate new york is so great because y- you see Thanos' army, you see him, like, there's that, so it begins with Captain America, his shield's been shattered, he's, like, standing there all alone, and he's, like, facing down Thanos and his entire army all by himself, and then, obviously, the portal's open, and he sort of gets the backup that he needs, and you get the this huge epic shot of all of these characters in the frame at the same time and i have to tell you guys like my my heart sank when i first saw that because i was like oh god we're in for another battle of wakanda situation where the camera just bounces around you know to each of these points on the battlefield and shows scarlet witch taking out a bunch of outriders black uh, uh, you know black panther taking out a bunch of outriders like you know things like that that you really don't care about and it's just a showcase for these characters to prove that their skill sets once again and we've seen that so much but this movie ben, Endgame, why, why
1: aren't you excited by our heroes taking off nameless cgi villains well that's
0: the thing you know we've seen we know what their powers are we've seen all of these <laughs> battles over and over and over again and that's why i, I thought you know in in for Then to do that in Infinity War, which was like the 20th movie or 19th movie or whatever it was in the saga, I was like, you know, this has been, all of this has been well established. You know, if if that kind of thing happened early in the MCU, sure, I can understand it. But anyway, the point is, Endgame decides to basically push all of that aside. You get the sense that a huge battle is going on, but you never really focus in on any of that action, which, like... Sounds kind of like a paradox, but actually turns out really well because instead you're just doing this thing where you're playing hot potato with the uh, iron gauntlet or whatever you want to call it. And the action is focused on the characters that we love and know using their powers uh, all for this a uh, singular purpose instead of just being splintered across a battlefield and fighting these individual tiny fights so um, anyway I wrote this whole thing uh, in this big feature piece and you can read that on slashmo.com with more examples about why i love this but uh, that's the the gist of it
1: I think what you're talking about at the basics here is stakes. Like every single shot of that battle in this movie has some stakes to it. It's like in Infinity War we're waiting for Thanos to appear because once he appears and he's going after vision, then it's interesting, right? There's right, something right. at yeah, stake. Exactly. But here it's like yeah. So uh Chris, is that also why you enjoyed this battle more than Infinity Wars, Wakanda? Uh
2: yeah. It's definitely a lot more interesting. It's more visually engaging and I was actually right there with Ben in the sense that where they showed that shot where Captain America is facing down, whatever they're, what are they called? The Outriders, whatever. Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> uh, I was like, oh, no, because I was on board with the movie right up until that shot. And then thankfully, it wasn't what I was expecting. So, yeah, I, I think that's a that's a fair assessment. By the way, there's some, some fantastic like wide shots
1: where... It almost looks like a concept art painting. That I would I would love to have a print of this and hang it on my wall from that sequence. Like there's especially when the heroes are uh coming to confront Thanos at the end. Um there's like this wonderful like almost feels like a a, a shot from a film. I mean, obviously it doesn't because it's so alien in in nature, but uh it's just such a wide vista shot. It's it's, it's fantastic. Um okay, let's talk about The big shot at the end of this movie, at the funeral, where all of the stars of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, or most of the stars of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, are appearing in not just one location, but one single shot. Now, this must have been one of the hardest things to put together in the history of cinema, really, with schedules and and everything. Uh, Brad, how did they do it?
3: Yeah, it's not really difficult because of uh, the scope of everything, like the finale of Avengers Endgame with the epic battle. But it's just the the logistics of just getting every single one of the stars of all of the different Marvel franchises together uh, for this single shot. And it's the we're talking about the one that uh, pans through the entire uh, group of attendees for Tony Stark's funeral. It's a shot that starts with... Uh, Pepper Potts laying down, Tony Stark's arc reactor that says proof that Tony Stark has a heart on this uh, bouquet of flowers, and putting it out on their lake, um, and it just moves through, and you see everybody that um, pr- pretty much everybody from all of the various franchises, and they're all you know standing together in their groups, the Guardians of the Galaxy, and uh, people from the Ant Man franchise, and Thor, and Spider Man, and uh, all all this kinds of thing, uh, and so basically how it came uh, together is they knew they were going to have all these people on set instead of, you know, doing a composite shot where they have a bunch of different individuals that they put together, you know, with visual effects. Uh, so they they rehearsed it for an entire day before it using stand-ins because they knew that they were going to have to get this group together and they would basically have to stand in front of the camera for about two hours without even talking because it's, it's a completely silent shot. No one's saying anything as the camera pans through them. So they had a limited window to do it and uh, they they had shot at least 30 times with the stand-ins so that when they brought it in the next day, they could just easily do it. And so uh, they said it took them about 10 takes to actually take the shot. And uh, I couldn't remember exactly which one was the one that made it into the movie, but they, um, the Russos knew it was earlier. And so they said it might have been around take four or five that they actually got the full single take shot that you see in the final cut of the movie.
1: Yeah. And I know people probably – at home listening to this are probably mocking me for me saying that this is one of the hardest shots to accomplish in the history of cinema, but uh, you might not understand Hollywood scheduling. Like, right now, I'm trying to... uh, I'm appearing on the Slash Filmcast next week and we're trying to figure out the scheduling for that with, you know, four people who are not stars and not big people. And even figuring out one night where four (laughs) people can be on Skype together virtually online is hard. Never mind, you know, people of this these caliber all having one day to you know devote to like a shot like this um but i don't know that shot was pretty incredible um let's let's talk about uh the captain marvel problem i know we touched upon this in a past edition of the podcast It, it seems like they kind of got rid of her for most of this film because having her around would be uh, it, it would be very unexplainable how she couldn't just solve some of these problems. Chris, you wrote up a whole piece for this. It's the most read piece of the day on Uh Let's get the gist of it.
2: Uh, yeah, so, you know, first, I, I feel like I need to add this um, addendum just because I don't want people to think raw ill of this piece. Uh, I like the Captain Marvel movie. I don't think it's like a great movie, but I think it's good. I th- I really like Brie Larson's portrayal. Cause she plays this character as a sort of like Han Solo in a way. She's very like sarcastic and dry. And she does a really good job of that. That said, I think the MCU doesn't understand how to use her. Um, uh, You know, as infinity war shows, like, you know, she's in the beginning and then she's out of the movie until like the very, very end. And You know, on one level, that makes sense because they really wanted to focus more on, you know, the original team, the original Avengers. But at the same time, you know, it almost felt like why they even bother to release the Captain Marvel movie before this came out when they could have just really just introduced her in this movie for as limited a role as she has. And the problem is she's just really powerful. She's literally Kevin Feige has even said that she's the most powerful character in the MCU, And that's fine. Um, The problem is she's so powerful. I feel like the writers don't know what to do with her because again, if she was on hand, she would probably just end things really quickly and then they wouldn't have a movie. Um, But I I feel like there has to be a middle ground here. There has to be a way you can keep her in the movie without downgrading her. Like, I don't think the answer should be like, take away her powers. I feel like there just should be a better Screenplay really is the answer. The answer is they need to find a way to find that balance where, you know, Captain Marvel, Carol, Carol dampers can be around, but also she doesn't end the story before it it gets geared up. Um, I I don't really have a solution there because I don't write movies for a living, so someone else is going to have to come up with it. But, you know, there has to be some sort of way. If they could figure out a way to make several superman movies and even like thor they, they found a way to make thor work and he's pretty powerful there has to be a way to make carol work in the cinematic universe um you know in fairness you know she's just been introduced hopefully films going forward they'll, they'll find better ways to use her but i really think at this moment in time they're they're unsure of how to uh use this character to her full potential Yeah. Well, Captain Marvel, the movie itself was smart
1: because it limited her um, until the end of the movie. We didn't get to see her full of potential until the very end of the movie. In this movie, she has her full potential, but she goes away. Uh, I remember at the Captain Marvel junket, I asked Kevin Feige about this because a lot of my friends say, you know, in video games, there's a whole thing of being like overpowered and power creep. And she seems like she's overpowered in this MCU. And when I brought that up, uh, Feige said that you will see in the upcoming uh, films that they're going to start to introduce her limitations. And uh, I'm not sure what that means. Uh, I'm not sure if that means that the character has some kind of kind of kryptonite in, you know, Superman terms or if, um, you know, her cockiness is going to get in the way of her. Do you know what I mean? Like, but uh, it seems like we've yet to see what is going to hold this back and i i, I think they're going to have to explore that chris i think they're going to have to find something uh, to uh limit her power i mean maybe, oh, yeah. maybe she only has a certain burst of power do you know what i mean like maybe she can only use that power and then it like weakens her or something i don't know they haven't really told us how she works
2: yeah they'll they'll have to figure something out because they can't keep they keep having her being like, all right, I'm going to space. I'll see you in a few hours. Like, they're, you know, they can't keep doing that. So they have to figure something out.
0: Brad, do you have any theories about how they might be able to get around that problem? I mean, I think really just what Peter said is like they, we
3: kind of just have to learn more about her and figure out, you know, what her weaknesses are and like, and that kind of thing, because maybe she just hasn't been tested by something that has the ability to, Uh, You know dampen or reduce her power So that's really the only thing that I can think of Because that was one of my issues In the movie too is that She kind of comes in and just completely destroys Thanos' ship and it's like We could have used that a long time ago You know (laughs) Um, And sure like she says, she's busy and that kind of thing She might not be back for a while fine But when you have that amount of power you have to figure out Something to do with it so that it's not Always in the back of your mind like you know Where's Captain Marvel
1: Yeah. Why aren't they um, using that pager
0: yeah. Yeah. I'm just wondering if like future movies will send her off, will will be so universe focused that, you know, she'll encounter other obstacles where comparatively her power isn't as as overmatched as it seems to be, you know, with everybody on Earth. Or maybe if she stays Earthbound or, or thereabouts, maybe they'll introduce some sort of like moral component to it. Like, you know, she she can't use her powers the full extent of her powers or else people die or something you know like there's some sort of radiation or something that comes off of it so she has like a a moral uh like a conundrum that she has to just you know it's it, it sort of like um it's some kind of consequences
3: yeah
1: yeah
0: every,
3: every time she uses her superpowers a child gets punched in the gut <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh one of those uh one of those many millions of uh, branching universes to, it gets destroyed. I don't know. Um I know in the comic books there really isn't any limitations on her as far as I know. And uh so we're going to have to see what they do with her in MCU. It'll be interesting. I think I think Ben you're right. I think once she gets into the galactic side of things, we're going to see her encounter things that basically could just smash Earth like, you know, a bug. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to put her on, you know, a, even Uh, fighting level with those things but there has to be a reason why these Avengers aren't using that pager every now time earth gets attacked by aliens do I mean like you know if secret wars ever happens or secret invasion like I feel like you know first thing they're going to do is call Captain Marvel like what's to prevent her from just like coming in and cleaning up
0: yeah I don't know
1: Let's talk about Robert Downey Jr.'s last moment in this film, which apparently was a last-minute addition to this film. Brad, what do we know?
3: Yes. Uh, so as we talked about, Anthony and Joe Russo have kind of been making the rounds, answering questions that people have about the more spoilery aspects of Avengers Endgame. Uh, and during a Q&A event in Washington, D.C., uh, which one of our Slash Film readers will see uh, was lucky enough to attend – And he got us the audio from this event where they addressed the final scene with Tony Stark um, where he says, I am Iron Man before using the Infinity Stones to wipe out Thanos and his entire army. Um, Interestingly enough, that scene was the final scene that Anthony and Joe Russo shot as uh, directors for Marvel Studios for the time being. And it was also the final shot that was turned in by the visual effects department and that's mostly because it was a shot that was done very late in the game during uh, the planned reshoots that happened this past January. Um, And it came about because while they were in the editing room getting the final battle together, they didn't have anything good for Robert Downey Jr. to say after Thanos says, I am inevitable. Originally in the script, apparently, he didn't say anything. Uh, He just showed that he had the stone, snapped his fingers, and that was that um but while they were trying to figure it out and after trying a bunch of different iterations of various last lines that they thought maybe they could use their editor jeff ford who worked on all of the russo's marvel movies with them uh made the suggestion he's like well why don't you just go full circle and have him say i am iron man and then they were like get the cameras we have to shoot this <laughs> you know, immediately uh so and that's this is, that's great because that moment is is huge you know uh not only is it You know, very typical of Tony Stark to have something snarky to say back to whoever is, you know, giving him shit. But it is the perfect circle because all of this started with Iron Man back in 2008 and Robert Downey Jr. famously, uh, as Tony Stark, taking credit for and just being that superhero and flat out saying, I am Iron Man. And so to have him say that right before he ends his arc in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it is just it is a, a the perfect
1: moment. It's so perfect, it almost seems ridiculous that they did not see it. Do you know what I mean? Like that it originally wasn't in the script.
0: Exactly. Like, why wouldn't you have thought of that? (laughs) I I thought the entire thing was reverse engineered. Like, I thought they would have had to go back in and add Thanos' line where he says, I am inevitable, because that's kind of a stupid line to just say anyway. I I thought it was, like, purposeful setup for the I am Iron Man line later. It's so weird to hear that it was the reverse of that. Wait, did they say that the I
1: I am inevitable line was in there originally?
3: No they they didn't say that so to be fair there's a chance that they they brought back the I am inevitable line as well to make that moment oh, work. Okay. okay. Um, so yeah so there's a chance that maybe they retooled the dialogue in general in that scene but but e- either way they said they just they didn't have a line uh for Robert Downey Jr like to say back to Thanos. So to to whatever he may have said uh, initially whether it was actually I am inevitable or something else. I got
1: you. Yeah. No I think you're right Ben. I think they probably added that in to make you know that a a comeback of a you know a punchline kind of thing yeah. yeah um okay, let's talk about one final thing here before we get to one mailbag thing uh w- let's talk about the end credits because there are what this is the first Marvel movie from Marvel Studios that does not have an end credit scene instead it has like kind of this audio easter egg or tribute whatever you want to call it Uh, the Russo brothers finally explained why they decided to go with this choice uh, even though Chris has already explained it to us so uh, but Ben
0: what did they say they said, this is the first MCU movie we got to tell where we weren't thinking about the future. You're simply thinking about the past and the journey that we've all been on together since that first Iron Man movie. And how do we bring the most epic sense of closure to that journey we could possibly do? So that was our goal. And that was really why we had no tag. Because even the people at Marvel aren't thinking about the future of, future of Marvel. Joe and I don't have any plans to continue with Marvel after this. So... Uh, yeah, it basically is just um, essentially what Chris talked about before. It's it's all about that circuitous, that circular nature of bringing it all back around and having that sound effect of uh, of Tony Stark hammering out his first Iron Man costume back in that cave. Um, I, I'm not sure if I fully buy the idea that even the people at Marvel aren't thinking about the future of Marvel because we, we know that they are. Yeah. We, they have several movies in development, but I think what he's probably getting at is even the people at Marvel haven't announced the future of Marvel yet officially because they're waiting until Spider-Man Far From Home to do that.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. Okay, let's, uh, let's dive into the mailbag. We have one letter here from Scott from Alameda, California. He writes in in response to us talking about who should have died. We, I think we said that Hawkeye should have died instead of Black Widow. Uh, and he says, to defend this case, I unfortunately need to pull out the parent card. This movie is very much about parenthood and fatherhood specifically. It feels as if the idea of raising the next generation was quite on the forefront of the the screenwriter's mind. To start the movie with Hawkeye losing his family and then to end it by implying that his family came back only to find their father dead would be heartbreaking and devastating. It would be downright cruel. Having Tony die, leaving Morgan fatherless brought me to, to absolute tears. But in that case, the sacrifice matched the character arc. Black Widow, while I agree a better character, needed to sacrifice herself in order to give Quint his family back and allow him the chance to be a father. As a parent myself, I completely agree that Natasha's decision and understood the sacrifice made in order to allow someone like Clint to have more time with their children. So I wanted to hear that's, what you guys think of this. Well, and and by the actually, way, first of all, none of us have children.
3: That's actually, I think, why some people are upset about it because this this kind of goes back to uh, the problem people had with Black Widow's arc in uh, as it continued in Avengers: Age of Ultron because they made it seem like because she didn't have the ability to have kids because of what the uh, the the assassin uh, group that she was with uh, forced her, you know, um, to be unable to have children. That her life didn't have as much worth because she couldn't be a mother, uh, and so to say that it, it makes more sense for Hawkeye to live because he has a family isn't un- is is really unfair to Black Widow because her life isn't worth less because she can't be a mother. Uh, it's you know if anything, you know it's it would be as equally as important because she's giving up her life for what has become her family because she does she doesn't have kids. And I think that's that's what lessens the blow a little bit for people who don't like what they did with Black Widow in that regard. So I, I feel like it's a little bit short-sighted to say, well, Hawkeye needed to live because he has a family, and Black Widow can die because you
0: know she doesn't have worth because she doesn't have one. <laughs> I, I and you th- could all you could also make the the reverse argument to this, where <clears throat> excuse me, where it's like um Clint should have sacrificed himself uh, to allow Natasha to have the romantic life that she has never been able to have yet. You know that 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 she um you know because Clint knows that there's something going on between Bruce and Natasha, right? So you could maybe make the argument like, "Oh, he he's had his he's had his <laughs> I don't know, he's had his time uh raising his family like, you know, the mother his wife is has a good head in her shoulders and and his kids are are growing up and natasha has lived, in, lived an isolated life and hasn't had that connection with somebody but or hasn't hasn't been able to to sort of um capitalize on that connection with somebody in a big way yet so you know what I'm saying like that, yeah. that it's you could play devil's advocate that way
1: I also think that you could say that Quinn, if he were to die in this movie that his sacrifice could be almost like tony starks like he sacrificed himself to save his kids do you know what i mean like i (laughs) i feel like both ways it works uh chris do you have any thoughts on this
2: uh yeah i just want to second that you know what you think because i don't have kids i deserve to (laughs) fall (laughs) off a cliff (laughs) writer listen in you're right i do deserve to fall off a cliff but not because i don't have kids (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I mean I, I did
1: if you listen to the Slash Filmcast review of this I know uh, Jeff Kannada and Devinder Hardware uh, both talk about how this movie meant something more to them as uh, fathers um, that it has a lot of themes to that uh, maybe I'm not looking at it in that way because f- I don't have kids I just have dogs like Chris um, and uh, I, I don't know I, I, I can see it both ways I just feel like I feel like there was a lot more potential for black widow's character i i want to see more with i feel like her arc was not completed this felt like a i mean they did kind of bookend it in a way but it felt like like it happens really fast and
2: i i just think like i don't mind her dying i just think it's kind of lame that she dies the exact same way gamora died like they already did the you have to fall off the cliff to get the stone thing like why not like why not have her die in that final battle, like right before Tony? I think that would've been more emotional. Like, well, just actually, have... that well, that makes
3: me ask too. Then, like, uh, I guess I I, I kind of want to know where how the conversation happened. Like, obviously, you know, with the 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 dynamic between Black Widow and uh, Hawkeye is what makes them the perfect candidates to go after the Soul Stone in Vormir from a storytelling perspective because it has the most drama. But how did they determine this as a team? Because Nebula had had to have explained to everybody, you know, how you go about getting the Soul Stone because it's mentioned, and they have even have a joke about it where Scott Lang says, "Not it." So, how did they how did they give this assignment to you know Hawkeye and Black Widow, knowing that one of them probably wasn't going to come back because they seem kind of surprised when they come back and well, she's not with him. I'm so under, I'm
1: under the impression that Nebula doesn't know the rules. To Vormir, do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, feel like she just knew that Gamora didn't come back, but she didn't know that that was a no.
3: But she, she does though, because in Infinity War, she, she even explains. She says, she says, uh, uh my father and my sister uh, went to Vormir. He came back with the stone, and she didn't.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But I don't think yeah, he. Yeah, but, but she, she, she knows though wh- how he got the stone. But do we know that? Because it seems to me like she could have just thought that like there a fight broke out and he killed her.
3: I mean. I don't know. May, may, I guess that's possible, but even then, it's like I don't know.
1: I mean, it is a good question. It is it, like I feel like those two wouldn't have volunteered if they knew that was the end game for 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 that stone, right? But um, okay, guys, uh, that brings us to the end of today's podcast. I do want to plug uh, Sidhan who has been doing this amazing Road to Endgame series on the site. He's gone through every single Marvel movie leading up to Avengers Endgame, and today we published his uh, his long piece on Avengers Endgame. If you want to dive in and get meaty with uh, what this movie means for not just this film, but the entire MCU leading up to it. I highly recommend checking that out. We will put a link in the show notes. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find all the stories we talked about in today's podcast in the show notes and on the site. This podcast, SlashFilm Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at com. And please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. We'll see you tomorrow.